I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 18, 19, 20, 21 of The Maze Runner. We've got a good chunk of chapters coming up, guys, because we're in the maze and shit's about to go down. That's right, where we left off, Thomas inexplicably stepped into the maze to try and help Albie and Minnow who were stuck in there. I, I don't know how he thinks he's going to help, but apparently he's going to help. And a griever is pursuing them. Albie's passed out and Minnow's done a runner for it because he's like, I'm not dying next to you, Thomas. You're too annoying. So as chapter 18 starts, Thomas is staring at the spot where Minnow had vanished and a sudden dislike for the guy swelled up inside of him. He's always deciding whether or not he likes or dislikes someone. <laughs> and he's annoyed because he's like, wow, Minnow was a veteran of this place. He's a runner. I'm just a newbie. I've only been here a few days and a few minutes in the maze. And yet of the two of us, Minnow had broken down and panicked and run off at the first sign of trouble. And he thinks, how could he leave me here? How could he do that? Well, he did say that you guys would have a better chance splitting up. I, I mean, I think he did just dog you. But also like, he didn't ask for you to come into the maze and to help him. He never signed up for you two to be like amazing race partners running around the maze. No, he never signed up for that. And so the noise of the greaser coming, it's getting louder. He's starting to freak out and he doesn't know what to do. And he's like, well, Albie's here. He's checking his pulse and he hears a light heartbeat. And at that moment, in the space of only a few seconds, he learned a lot about himself, about the Thomas that was before. He couldn't leave a friend to die. Okay, all right. I think you probably already learned that when you like ran into the maze to try and help them at the last minute. But okay, now he's learned a lot about himself because he, you know, doesn't want someone to die. Like, oh, congrats. And listen to this. It says he couldn't leave a friend to die. Even someone as cranky as Albie, you know, because cranky people usually deserve to die. But I don't know what he's trying to get at there. Like, okay, so Albie's cranky, but you're still going to try and save his life. You're a saint. And so he's trying to pull Albie onto his back but he's not strong enough. It's too much. So he's collapsing, falling onto his face and Albie's, (laughs) he's sprawling around on the floor too, fallen with a loud flump. So he's being completely useless, classic. And so trying a new approach, he grabs Albie's arms and starts to drag him along the ground. Where are you going? (laughs) What's your plan here? You can't just keep dragging Albie around. 
And he actually drags him about 10 feet or so. And then he gives up and he goes, well, you know what? Where would I take him anyway? Like, yeah, what are you thinking? And so then he like sits back and he's like, okay, what can I do? There must be some sort of solution. Everyone else has died in the maze overnight, but I'm obviously the exception. It says he could hardly see anything. And he knew despite what Minnow had said that it'd be stupid to run, even if he could carry Albie. Okay, why would it be that stupid to run? I feel like that's probably the best thing that you could do. He says like, well, not only was there a chance of getting lost, he could actually find himself running towards the grievers instead of away from them. That's why you listen. Like you can hear them. They make a lot of noise. They're all needles and like chainsaws and little clicky arm thingies. Like you could listen out and maybe run in the opposite direction, but he's like, well, you know what? Running, that's out of the question. That can never happen. Oh, no, got to think of something else. And so he's looking up at the wall of ivy and he's like, Minnow had suggested that it'd be impossible to climb the ivy, but you know what? Maybe he was wrong. (laughs) Even though, as you said earlier, he's been there for years and you've only been there for 10 minutes, but okay, yeah, sure. Let's consider that. And a plan formed in his mind. It all depended on the unknown abilities of the grievers, but it was the best thing he could come up with. So he's just like assuming that the grievers can't climb, which, you know, I want to bet that they can, considering that the creators designed the maze and designed the grievers. So maybe they wouldn't design a creature that can't climb walls. I don't know. I don't know. That's just my hunch. So he's gone up to this patch of vines and he's like pulling on it, testing the weight of it. He's yanking it. And then he's walking himself up the vine a little bit and and then like swinging on it a little bit to see if it will hold his weight. And so then he's grabbing the other vines and he's creating a series of climbing ropes and he's testing each vine, making sure that they're strong. And he's like, yeah, this will work. And then he's looking around the maze and he's noticing that it's getting a bit lighter. And that's because the grievers have like flashlights on them or something. And he's like, oh shit, a griever must be getting close if I'm able to see clearly. So he's like, shit, shit, I better get to work. So he starts wrapping the vines around Albie's arms and then he's wrapping all his limbs up in these vines and just like, I guess his plan is just to let Albie swing there. (laughs) So now that Albie's all tied up, he starts to climb up the vines and he's getting up the wall. So he's like climbing up the wall. Then he's like, oh, you know what? I can't leave Albie behind. Even though we just tied Albie up in the vines, apparently he needs to lift Albie up higher up the wall. So then he goes down and he's trying to like, pull the vines that are holding Albie up like further up the wall. I'm really struggling to picture this. And so then he gets back down onto the maze floor thinking that he'll push Albie up the wall while he's still attached to the vines from below instead of pulling him up. And so he pushes the left leg up, then ties a new vine around it, then the right leg up and ties a new vine around that. It all just seems like too much hard work. Leave the fucker. Like, I'm sorry, he's as good as dead. Forget about him. But staring up, Albie now hung there in the vines, three feet higher than he'd been five minutes earlier. And he's like, well, that'll have to do. The grievers are getting closer. So then he starts going back up the vines. Oh no, and then he's still doing it. So he's climbing up the vines, getting to Albie's body, then wrapping a vine around his chest to hold him up and then pushing Albie up a bit further and then re-wrapping his limbs around the vines. It's all too much hard work. And like, are these... Grievers, the slowest things in the world, because he's had a lot of time to be doing this, but he just keeps going. Climb, wrap, push up, tie off, climb, wrap, push up, tie off. 
and he thinks the gravers at least seem to be moving slowly through the maze, giving him time. Yeah, that's a plot hole. (laughs) Just because you're acknowledging it in the moment doesn't mean that it makes sense. So over and over, little by little, up they went. And once they're about 30 feet off the ground, he's like, I'm done. I can't push Albie up this wall another inch. I'm over it. This is where we'll hide or make our stand. It says he'd known that they couldn't reach the top. He only hoped the grievers couldn't or wouldn't look above them. God, that's a risk, isn't it? And so a few minutes passed. God, just all the time in the world. And then a faint glimmer of light shines off the maze walls up ahead and the sounds get louder. But then a red light to his left on the wall catches his attention. And it's a beetle blade just a few inches away from him. Remember the little like insect drones? And Thomas can see clearly now, like he thought he saw it previously, but now he's sure he can see the words wicked written on its body. And he says he knew it had to be a spy for whoever had sent them here. And it's like, well, yeah, you were told that they were spying devices, but yeah, like call it a hunch, sure. And even though this thing's clearly got like a video camera on it, he's like, maybe if I'll be super still, it won't notice me. Like, okay, it's, it's not a bat. It doesn't work off sonar. It's a video camera. It's not like you're hiding from a T-Rex or something. Like, oh my God. And then with a click and then a clack, the beetle turned and scuttled off, disappearing into the ivy. And he's like, oh, now I can breathe again. Now that I don't have to pretend to be still so that a video camera won't see me, now I can move around and breathe. And then something rounded the corner up ahead and came toward them. Something he'd seen before, but through the safety of thick glass. Something unspeakable. A griever. Like, yeah, obviously. Like, that's the end of the chapter and it's meant to be like, Oh my God, cliffhanger. But like, yeah, we know the grievers were coming. I'm not expecting it to be something else coming around the corner. If it was Ben coming around the corner, not dead, miraculously still alive, then I'd be shocked. But oh, it's a griever. Okay. Yeah. And so we go to chapter 19 and he's staring in horror at the monstrous thing making its way down the long corridor of the maze. So he describes these grievers and they don't sound great. It resembled a gigantic slug sparsely covered in hair and glistening with slime. It had no distinguishable head or tail, but it was at least six feet long, four feet thick. Every 10 to 15 seconds, sharp metal spikes popped through its bulbous flesh. And then the creature turned into a ball and spun forward. Then it would settle. The spikes would come back through the moist skin with a sick slurping sound. Yuck. And it did this over and over, traveling just a few feet at a time. So yeah, you could have easily outrun it. I, that's, that's what I would have done. They sound slow and laborious, but hair and spikes were not the only things protruding from its moist, slimy little body. Several randomly placed mechanical arms stuck out. A few had lights attached to them. Others had needles. And when the creature rolled, these arms folded and maneuvered to avoid being crushed. And so all of that explains the weird little clicking sounds that he's been hearing. And he's describing this all like he's never seen a graver before, even though he has. He watched one through the window. He just referenced that fact. But now he's describing the graver being like, oh my God, they're so gross. It's like, yeah, we know. And he's still trying to be so still. He's like, maybe it doesn't see me. Maybe it won't see me if I just stay super, super still. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. Of course the beetle blade saw me and told the graver my position. Like, yeah, obviously. And why do we think that? Because it's coming right at you. So it's zigzagging back and forth, coming right at him. And it keeps coming. Whir, click, 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 whir, click, click, click. 
and the grievers finally reach like the base of the wall. And Thomas is like, oh, please go the other way. Start walking in the other direction, please. But then of course it starts coming exactly towards them and starts rolling like straight to the base of the wall. So the griever was now exactly below them. And Thomas wanted to look down so badly, but knew any movement might give him away. Mate, it knows where you are. (laughs) And then all the lights that were stuck onto the creature go out. And so everything's dark. And he's like, oh, what's going on? I can't see. And then he's worried that the griever could hear him or smell him. So I think the griever could probably also see in the dark. I don't know why it's carrying around lights. But seconds pass. And he doesn't know what's going on. But then in a sudden burst of light and sound, the griever came back to life, whirring and clicking. And then it started to climb the wall. So like sucked in, it can climb the wall. (laughs) All that effort pushing Albie up the vines. (laughs) And it's all for nothing because the grievers can climb. (laughs) So that's the end of that chapter. We go to chapter 20. The grievers coming up the wall and now one of its arms with the lights is focused solely on Thomas and he's like, oh, so it can see me. (laughs) And he's thinking, oh shit, the only thing that's left for me to do is to run. And he goes, oh, well, sorry, Albie. And he starts to unravel the thick vine from his chest. And he's thinking, well, I can't like now walk up the vine because it'll still come and kill Albie. And I can't go down the vine because then I'll run into it. So I better go to the side. And so he just full on George of the Jungles it and he starts swinging from the vines, catching onto another vine, reaching for a vine, swinging on that one, just full on Tarzaning it out. And it's all working perfectly. Now the griever had altered its course from Albie and is heading directly for Thomas. And he's like, yay, something finally went right. And that's another example of his famous optimism to think that things are going right. But the griever must still be going pretty quickly or quicker than he's able to swing on the vines. And he's like, I better get to the ground so I can run. So he starts slipping down the ivy rope and progressively as he keeps swinging, he's lowering himself down on the vines. But (laughs) plot twist, he doesn't see what's in front of him and he (laughs) swings right into a wall. (laughs) Oh, he didn't realize that he had to change directions there. You know, it's a maze. Yeah, yeah, it would be pretty rare to be swinging in just the one direction the whole time. Like you're gonna have to make a turn or two eventually. And apparently the griever is almost on him. And so he kicks off of the wall that he just, I think ran into and he tries to push off from there. And then with the griever close, he also kicks one of its arms. And he's like, yes, I kicked the griever. And then he realizes like, oh no, I'm about to swing back into the direction of the griever. Because yeah, if you swing one way, you're gonna swing back. Also, can we just give a shout out to these vines? They are the strongest vines ever. Not a dodgy vine in the bunch. I mean, that's good luck. So he's swinging back into the griever and he like pulls his body in tight as he makes contact with the griever's body and he sinks inches into its gushy skin. And then he has to kick out his feet to bounce off of the griever. Very lucky that there were no needles or arms or anything. Now he's just falling into the slimy, moist skin. So that's, yeah, very fortunate. And then he just starts vine swinging in the other direction. He's like, got to get out of there. I thought he was like aiming to get to the ground eventually, but he's just still swinging on those fucking vines. Oh no. So finally he's on another vine and he starts to slide down properly. And as soon as his feet hit the floor, he's off and running. 
And now that he's getting some distance from the griever, I'm not so sure how he can see, but he's turning in the maze. He's making all these turns. And somewhere in his mind, he's also keeping track of his own movements, like left, right, right, down a corridor, left again, right again, like just keeping track of it in case he has to come back that way. Even though the doors and the walls move, but yeah, why not? You're probably going to die in 10 minutes, but yes, let's set a mind challenge for yourself. And so he's running, he's running, he's starting to get pretty tired. He's like, oh, I don't know how much longer I can just keep running for. And then he skids to a halt as he sees what's around the next corner. Three grievers were up ahead, rolling along as they dug their spikes into the stone, coming directly toward him. So that doesn't sound so good for Thomas. That's the end of that chapter. And then we go to chapter 21. So now he's caught in a little dilly of a pickle and he's looking at the one behind him, pursuing him. And then he's looking at the three ones up front and he's like, a rot roll. And they're all like clicking and clacking as if mocking him and laughing. (laughs) I don't know if they are laughing at you. I think you're projecting. And he's like, oh no, I'm done. It's over. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Not even a week of salvageable memory and my life is over. Well, maybe you shouldn't have walked into the stupid maze. This is on you, Thomas. And then almost consumed by grief, he made a decision. He'd go down fighting. And yet you're going to pick the one over the three. So then he turns around and starts running after the one griever, just like full running for it. And the ugly thing retracts just an inch as if shocked at his boldness. It's probably like, oh, that was unexpected. 
And then Thomas is screaming at it as he's charging at it, as if he's Braveheart. And the Graver's like, all right, we'll bring it on. And it pops out its spikes. And then he's like, oh, actually, that changes things. (laughs) He's like, when you're just a big giant snail, yeah, I'm not that scared of you. But when you've got spikes, ooh. And so he's running, running, running. And then at the last second before collision, he plants his left foot and dives to the right. And unable to stop its momentum, the griever zooms straight past him before it shuddered to a halt. And so then it's spinning around, but now with Thomas no longer surrounded, he had a clear shot away back down the path. So he tricked it. <laughs> he tricked it by just changing directions. So now all four grievers are running after him. And then once he's three corridors down, two hands suddenly reached out and yanked him into the adjoining hallway. Hallway? We're in hallways now? What? 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 I thought, oh. all right, so now, now they're in a hallway. And Thomas is like, ah, a griever's got me. A griever with hands. And then he's like, oh, wait, it's Minnow. Like, yeah, yeah, of course it's Minnow. And Thomas, of course, is about to ask a question. And Minnow says, shut up and just follow me. And so without a moment to think, Thomas is like, okay. And so he starts running after Minnow. And Minnow seemed to know where he's going. So he's going left, he's going right. He knows where he's going because he's a runner and he does maps. He makes maps, he reads maps, he runs around maps. Who cares? Minnow knows what he's doing. So then Minnow says, I just saw the dive move you did back there. Gave me an idea. We only have to last a little while longer. Okay, so now we're being led to believe that this dive move that Thomas did was so astounding, so unexpected, so completely inspired. No one's ever thought of it before. Imagine running in one direction and then quickly changing that direction and diving into a different direction. No, no runner has ever, ever considered doing that. And so Minnow saw it from, I don't know where he was watching. Was Minnow just like sitting up in the vines, staring down, watching Thomas getting attacked by four grievers, just eating some popcorn, being like, oh, this is going to be good. He's like, oh, this kid's about to die. Ah, well. And then he sees this miraculous dive move and he's like, oh shit, we've got a chance. I better go and help him. Like, is it not the middle of the night? It's a dark maze. Like, yeah, the grievers have lights, but where's Minnow standing with his vantage point to see this big dive? Because it's not like he pounced on Thomas straight away. It took a while for him to catch up to Thomas, but apparently he was within seeing distance and he saw that miraculous move and it gave him an idea. Okay, sure. And for once, oh my God, everybody, this is a momentous occasion. (sighs) I don't know if this will ever happen again. So just like take it in and enjoy it. But listen to this. Thomas didn't bother wasting his own breath on questions. He just kept running. (sighs) Wow, I never thought we'd see the day. Thomas not asking a question? Something's up. So, wow. If all it takes is to be pursued by four grievers, like do that all the time, please. So a few turns later, Thomas saw something ahead of them that didn't register with his brain. It seemed wrong. The corridor didn't end in another stone wall. It ended in blackness and he can't figure it out. And I'm like, yeah, it's the cliff. Like it's clearly the cliff. We've heard all about this cliff. We know there's a cliff. It's the cliff. But he's really got to, you know, build up the mystery and the suspense with it. His eyes narrow as they run towards the wall of darkness, trying to comprehend what they were approaching. 
The two ivy-covered walls on either side of him seemed to intersect with nothing but sky. He could see stars. He finally realised it was an opening. The maze ended and he's thinking, how? What the? Oh my God. After years of searching, how did Minnow and I find it so easily? He thinks he's found the end of the maze. And Minnow's like, oh dude. Oh dude, I can sense your excitement, but please don't get excited. And so then they stop. And Thomas, he can see in every direction, up and down, side to side, empty air and fading stars. And they still haven't told us what it is yet. I mean, we've figured it out that it's the cliff, but James is still acting like there's all this suspense. So Thomas, he's staring in complete disbelief, complete disbelief. He knows a cliff exists, but he's staring in complete disbelief, not understanding how it could be possible. It was like someone had built the maze and then set it afloat in the sky to hover there in the middle of nothing for the rest of eternity. And he says, I don't get it. Oh my God. What is this place? What is this madness? What am I looking at? And okay, Minnow just says, careful. All right, it's, it's the cliff. You wouldn't be the first shank to fall off the cliff. And also James Dashton's not calling him Minnow anymore. He's just saying the runner, the runner said like, okay, we know his name, it's Minnow. And then Thomas remembers hearing the word cliff, proper noun, capital C. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. I've heard about a cliff before. Oh, this must be a cliff. Like, oh my God, somebody shoot me. And then he feels like hypnotized by the beauty of the cliff. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. There's four grievers chasing us. And then it all clicks. He's like, oh, I get it. I know what we're doing now. And Minnow says, yep, these things may be vicious, but they're dumb as dirt. Are they? I mean, they've been been pretty smart. I mean, one just climbed up a wall. They're not that dumb, but he goes, stand here close to me. And Thomas is like, yeah, I figured it out already. He just cuts him off. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I know I'm ready. Like, oh, heaven forbid Minnow share his brilliant plan. But he's like, yeah, I got it. It's a cliff. I've actually heard of a cliff before. So yeah, kind of am familiar with cliffs now. So they're standing there next to each other. Their heels are only inches from the edge of the cliff behind them. And the only thing left for them was courage. And Minnow's like, we need to be in sync on my mark. Let's do this. And so then the grievers conveniently like line up in single file to attack them. Maybe the maze proved just narrow enough to make it awkward for them to travel side by side. But one after the other, they rolled down the stone hallway, clicking and moaning and ready to kill. Yeah, it seems convenient that they have to go one after the other. So they're progressing, they're progressing, the boys are waiting. And Minnow's like, okay, not yet, not yet. Get ready, get ready. Now, so as the griever, well, the first one in the single file queue, lunges to nip at them, Thomas and Minnow, they dive in opposite directions. They do that amazing dive move that no one's ever thought to do ever before. The tactic had worked for Thomas earlier and judging by the horrible screeching sound that escaped the first griever, it had worked again. The monster flew off the edge of the cliff. Oddly, its battle cry cut off sharply instead of fading as it plummeted to the depths below. Okay, so that is actually a bit of an interesting tidbit. Don't know what that's all about. I just think it's funny that, well, they've overcome the obstacle of the gravers by pretty much treating them like lemmings and just letting them jump off a cliff. It's so simple. Why has no one ever tried this? 
And so Thomas spins around and he sees the second creature tumble over the edge. But the third one is planting a heavily spiked arm into the stone, like trying to hang on, but no, it tumbles over as well. But the fourth one though, it was able to stop in time. So it's teetering on the edge of the cliff, a spike and a claw holding it in place. And so instinctively, Thomas is like, oh, I know what to do. He's like, I've got this. He's like, oh, this is, this is nothing. I've probably done this before in my past that I don't remember about like all the time. So he looks to Minnow and he nods. And so I guess they're just communicating telepathically. So both boys, they ran in at the griever and jumped feet first at the creature, kicking out at the last second with every bit of strength. They connected, sending the last monster plummeting to its death. So, I mean, that's that. (laughs) Too easy. And Thomas looks over the edge to see if he can see them. Even though I I guess it's still nighttime. Um, But he's like, oh my God, I can't see anything. And it's like, well, yeah, like your only light source has just tumbled off the edge of the cliff. But I think they're making the point that like they've disappeared. Like not just disappeared as in fallen, but like they've fallen into, I don't know, a portal or something because they've like legit just like fallen out of space and time. He says, there's not even a sign of them in the emptiness that stretched below. Nothing. I don't know how good his vision is. Like he's just assuming that they've disappeared into thin air, but they could have just kept falling down. I I don't really care. Anyway, he's processing (laughs) this whole thought about where the cliff leads and, and like what's at the bottom of the cliff. I don't know, jump off it if you're that interested. Like, geez. But then he's like finally lying on the ground and then finally came the tears. The ordeal's over. That's the end of the chapter. Oof, what a wild ride. What a wild ride. The book got good again. Tell you what, for a while there, with Thomas just going from the slaughterhouse and then doing waiting work and then, oh, just so many chats, so many dialogue heavy chats. I was getting pretty over it. But this little excursion into the maze, you know, it's, it's given a little bit of zest. I'm starting to enjoy it again, even though I still hate it as a whole. What do you guys think? Let me know and I'll see you next week for the next batch of chapters. Will Thomas be in trouble for acting recklessly? Will he be praised for saving Albie's life? Who knows? I'll see you then. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.